You're listening to The Art of KCF. This essay is called Suckers for Love and was released as part of the Art of KCF newsletter. Issue 75 sent to email subscribers on October 16th, 2023. Stay tuned for a review of a theater production happening at Theater B in Moorhead, Minnesota. One of my all-time favorite movies is While You Were Sleeping, starring the incomparable Sandra Bullock. I love watching her in that film. It is so satisfying. The film is a comedy of errors, and as Lucy, played by Bullock, gets more and more entangled with the Gallagher family, the audience also roots for her to somehow make it out of her lies by omission unscathed. There is a happy ending, so it's not totally Shakespearean, but the elements of the comedy and romance move the story across its 1 hour and 43 minute runtime. At the Chick Finn, we watch this movie at least once every winter holiday season. Sometime between the serving of a turkey and the takedown of our Yule tree, we screen while you were sleeping with a huge bowl of popcorn for me and a small, reasonably sized portion for Vimo. I've made this a tradition in our household at this time because I firmly believe the film is an underrated Christmas-slash-winter holiday film. I instituted the tradition of non-traditional Christmas movie viewing 11 years ago with this film, and I can confidently say it's the movie Vimo has seen more than any other movie in her entire life because of my efforts. A close second would be Die Hard, which we started adding into the mix in the winter of 2020, which, as we all recall, had its own flavor and timbre in light of all of the uncertainties we were collectively wading through from the spaces of our individual homes, if we were so lucky. I love Lucy's mid-90s Midwest fashion. The way Chicago plays a major role in the film as another character. And now, of course, the way that I get so excited when it's time for the annual screening of the film with Vimo. The story of Lucy's happy ending is nice. But the warmth I feel when Vimo agrees to watch this film again fills me with more joy that she knows the characters' names and has committed the plot to her memory delights me, that it's our family tradition, one of countless tiny things that adds up over time, gives me a sense that life is worth living, especially with someone I genuinely love spending time with. In May of 2013, Vimo and I were invited by our state senator to join him in the chambers when the Minnesota legislature voted to approve a same-sex marriage bill. While I wasn't able to attend since I was teaching that day, I can't recall if Vimal was in the building at the time. She was in the Twin Cities, though, and we later met up to celebrate on the lawn in front of the Capitol building to mark the momentous occasion. This legislative victory was unique at the time. Our memories can be so short, but as a reminder... When Vimo and I were granted the right to join our lives together in a state-sanctioned manner, it was not the case on a federal level. So while we lived in a border community straddling Minnesota and North Dakota, prior to 2015, when we crossed the Red River, our marriage no longer counted in the eyes of our neighboring state. 
When marriages were officially legal in Minnesota, on August 1, 2013, Vimo and I celebrated with countless other couples who chose to wed at Minneapolis City Hall, beginning at midnight. The first couple included friends, colleagues, and, and fellow anti-homelessness advocates of Vimos, whose sweet union served as a kickoff for weddings taking place on a schedule of 20-minute increments. There was a space nearby for a collective reception, where couples waited for their time on the schedule. Witnesses, guests, betrothed, and newly wedded came and went from the city hall chapel back to the reception area to enjoy snacks, cake, and dancing. Nerves and tears and jitters and joy and relief and laughter and hugs and looks and shouts. So many emotions marked a new beginning of time when some queer folks who wanted a rom-com happy ending that resulted in wedding bells got it. Many of us witnessed unions unaware of the way in which those loves came to be here in the lineup of weddings, but beneficiaries of the celebration nonetheless. One of my favorite parts of the evening was happening upon a wedding of friends I'd known for ten years, and getting to share in their sweet vows in City Hall, committing to each other again and again. Love wins, we tearily exclaimed, upon the proclamation of their union being declared state-sanctioned by their officiant. In November of 2012, the voters of Minnesota, five months into my very new relationship with my sweet, not yet having earned her title Vimo, had a choice on the ballot on whether to support or oppose two constitutional amendments. One was related to instituting a voter ID law, and one related to the constitutional banning of same-sex marriage. The wheels of advocacy started rolling, and folks began organizing to work to secure victories on these two fronts. For the Chick Finn household, victory would have been no voter ID requirement and no constitutional ban on gay marriage. Spoiler alert, both measures failed. The night before election day, my sweet reached out to her conservative Christian family, urging those who could not vote no on the gay marriage amendment to simply abstain from voting. She shared why it was important to her and what it would mean to her as a member of her family of origin, recognizing that her request would be difficult for them. One of her sisters, deeply offended, said she was going to recruit three friends who weren't even voting to go to the polls to vote yes for the constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage from her home in Arizona. The charming Gallagher clan Lucy fell into of the while-you-were-sleeping world, she was not. 51.9% of Minnesota voters chose to support their queer neighbors and grant them the right to marry in our state. Vimo and I choose to live in a place that overwhelmingly voted to support the constitutional banning of our marriage. The true love story, magic, of while you were sleeping is about the entire family falling in love with Lucy. She not only finds a loving romantic relationship, but she gains a familial love she was lacking. I spend a lot of time wondering if this rom-com could work with queer folks at the center of the romantic tale. It's difficult to imagine for me that the fantasy of so-called traditional nuclear heterosexual family could work if the daughter was rescued off the tracks by Lucy and her sister fell in love with her as they waited for the other sister to come out of a coma. Or perhaps a trans sibling is in the mix. 
It's difficult to imagine a Saul-like character, the family friend encouraging the coma-recovering sibling to marry Lucy. It's difficult to imagine a daughter being called up to continue the father's family estate selling business. It's difficult for me to imagine, because if I had found Vimal passed out on the tracks of the CTAL, this would not have been the energy meeting me from Vimal's family at the hospital. I do feel grateful to have gained two sisters through our union, though. The merging of any two families through marriage is messy, though queerness brings its own unique intricacies to navigate. My family showed up for me to my wedding to Vimo on the side of a mine dump on October 5th, 2013. My soulmate BFF married us. My hermanita stood by us, and my queer hermana amiga who I've been lucky to have in my life as friend and mentor since 18, was with me. Dear friends who became family when I started teaching in Moorhead, loves who sweat together and celebrate victories together, join dear ones of Vimos who became my new family as we exchanged vows on the cold October misty day. Neither sets of invited parents were in attendance. Perhaps in ten more years' time, I will regale you with the tales of the three reception fundraisers we held across the state. Or of what happened on the party bus that transported us from the Wellstone Center in St. Paul to the Iron Range with our wedding party. Or of the glee our family collectively shared as we jumped into the lake after our family sauna, freezing water shocking us to our core. These two are happy endings for a sucker for love. But today, I simply want to bask in the deliciousness of art, on how art is embedded in all that we do, on how art complexifies and beautifies, from the clothes we put onto our body, to the design of vessels holding our celebratory tequila shots, to the words in the form of poetry that make meaning of our lives, to the artful positioning of a camera's lens, and the skills necessary to edit the image the beauty of all the parts of a life well-loved. The ways that happy endings can only come through a series of moments we alone will live. In late September, Vimo and I went to some of our favorite places with one of my former students, Ashley Way, who's an amazing photographer. She spent the day with us capturing our love professionally as a celebration of 10 years of married life together. On the four-hour drive back to Ottertail County from the Iron Range, we read her the poems we had commissioned for our wedding day by the Duluth Poet Laureate Sheila Paca. We commissioned one poem for the purpose of calling in compassion and love for those unable to attend. Sheila threw in an extra one, which she published in one of her recent collections. I want to share it here with you as a plea to request your poet friends write for your special occasions. Art is my happy ending, it turns out. Maybe it's yours too? A Wedding Blessing for Liz and Candace by Sheila Packa I meet you here on traces of the deep red ore beneath our feet where much has been taken away old growth and mineral rights. I meet you here, on the Iron Range, where immigrants arrived speaking other languages, 
Under the sky, they lifted the cornerstones into place. From Finland, Albuquerque, the desert, from east and west, where bears walk and oars whisper. I meet you here among the pines and thousand lakes, where I swam and drifted as a child. In the magnetic north, we join our lives and work. Like our ancestors, we are at the edge of the wild, where mist rises and eagles fly, over the Laurentian divide that has given us the river's gifts. To change, to find a new direction, flowing toward the ocean that calls us home. When I received the mailer featuring the advertisements of all of the season's theatrical offerings of Theater B in Moorhead, Minnesota, and opened to the page advertising five lesbians eating a quiche, I showed it to Vimo and said, we have to go, right? And she agreed. It's not often I see a show with lesbian in the title, and I was somewhat heartened by the possibility of the magic of theater bringing folks together for a spectacle centering on lesbians. The show, written by Evan Linder and Andrew Hobgood, is billed as a satirical exploration of an underground sisterly society of widows attempting to wait out communist threats of the 1950s at their annual quiche judging meeting. Five women are on stage and the quiche serves as a bad metaphor for lesbian separatist sentiment during the one-hour run of show. Now, dear listener, I did conduct a little bit of research on the show, primarily looking into who wrote it. And I'm not of the opinion that one can never write about a group of people different from oneself, but I am of the opinion that if one is going to choose to do that, they should proceed with respect instead of creating an entire show filled with the worst stereotypes of the other in order to claim it's satirical. The dialogue was not funny. The lesbians were simultaneously mean, cultish, ditzy, and sex-crazed. And the complete and utter lack of contextualization or historical knowledge of lesbian political groups was apparent with the writer's choice of calling the lesbian club the Susan B. Anthony Society for the Sisters of Gertrude Stein. While I'd love to write the exposition about what I find so troubling about these two being callously put together in the name of the chapter title, that would be an entire thesis. Perhaps the play authors thought similarly, given that not a single lick of information about why the club chose these two women is uttered by anyone on the stage. Instead of actually calling attention to lesbian organizers, thinkers, and feminists of the 1950s doing important and intersectional work, the two writers of the show chose instead a lazy, anachronistic pairing, serving only as backdrop to the deification of a fake saint of their community, pictured as a butch lesbian wielding an axe who happened upon some wild chickens and started a community. If the work was written in Anthony or even Stein's times, perhaps I could find the satire radical. But alas, penned in 2012, the authors had more than enough resources to know better and to do better. Watching a character eat out a quiche on stage was not nearly as harmful as the uplifting of trans-exclusionary radical feminist ideas and dialogue. 
the impairment of characters yelling, I'm a lesbian, from the stage, did not outweigh the actual explosion of one character caught outside the bunker. Her viscera represented as a gooey egg-like substance traumatizing those caught inside the bunker, including us, the audience, with no warning about sounds or theatrical effects mimicking the dropping of bombs. Feel free to call me a lesbian feminist killjoy, but I can't in good faith support the laughter of men echoing in my ears throughout the hour of my life never to return. Theater has the power and possibility to change hearts and minds. This isn't it. I really struggled with including this review in my newsletter and podcast because there's enough pain in the world, and I want to highlight things of the art variety that truly bring me joy. However, I also recognize that featuring artistic happenings in the region is part of my goals for this year's creation of my newsletter offerings. The show has three more performances next weekend, October 20th, 21st, and 22nd, for you to see for yourself if you feel so inclined. There is also power and possibility in critique, and perhaps the show will encourage you to learn from lesbian scholars instead. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Art of KCF. The Art of KCF newsletter and podcast is a fiscal year 2023 recipient of a Creative Support for Individuals grant from the Minnesota State's Arts Board. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota thanks to legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. The Art of KCF is created, written, produced, and edited by me, Candice Creel Falcon, with musical editions by Mountaineer via Upbeat. For a full transcript of the audio, plus all the features of my newsletter, like book reviews, creative links that inspire me, and an update on what's happening in my studio, be sure to find me through the link in the show notes. Till next time, may the joy of creative inquiry guide your path.